0: Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Sequest podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and submarines, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're talking about the pilot episode to be or not to be.
1: So it's going to be like April Fool, but we really are going to talk about Sequest because <laughs> I just thought this was a really funny idea. And we don't even drop on April 1st, but at the same time, time is a construct. April is a construct.
0: <laughs> hey, it's the near future. It's it's past the near future.
1: It's so, 2018.
0: 2018. <laughs> <laughs> when I told my daughter that uh, that this took place in the near future of 2018 she started laughing for like a full minute it was it was just it was so great because it's also you watch it and it's like yeah there's parts of it
1: that are so clunky like the computers oh i know and no one no (laughs) one has a phone like so hilarious lucas should spend the whole episode complaining that he has no reception But that just wasn't a thing. No, and they no. Couldn't, they couldn't imagine it in the near future, which is wild to me because the internet was a thing by ninety three. But apparently, oh, yeah. like Star Trek: The Next Generation, was only just beginning to adopt computers instead of typewriters at this time. So, <laughs> I, I guess the technology was barely penetrating. To be honest, once I got over that and just accepted that these are the rules and the visual language of this universe, I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed it too. It's a lot of fun. Do you remember watching it live or or contemporary in in, in, in ninth in the nineteen nineties? I missed this specific episode. Uh, Sequest was always in a really inconvenient time slot for my family. It ran at six thirty on Sunday nights and we mm. went to the evening mass, so I would have to set the VCR to record it, which meant that I couldn't record Lois and Clark, which was on at the, in the same time slot. So right. It was a whole thing, but I remember being sad that I had forgotten to set the VCR for the much-hyped first episode, and then seeing a letter to, you know, the editor of the TV guide, remember those? And it was like, <laughs> oh, this is not as good as Star Trek, this whole, this whole series is weak. The, the men are weak, the dolphins' voices are weak, voice is weak the, the concept is weak, and the only thing strong about it is the nasty, bitchy women. And I read that and I was like, "Mm, I really need to watch this show.
0: (laughs) What a perfect show for me. Yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, so I definitely watched it as it ran, at least the first season, Mm. which is easily the best season. (laughs) Yes. And I remember... I've mentioned before that I wanted to be a marine biologist, like of course. Jillian Taylor. And this is uh, you know, close to you know, that's nineteen eighty seven. So I I already wanted to be a marine biologist. Mm. You know, I, that was that was, it was and I was now in high school and it was like it was my goal now, right? Like yeah. I was gonna be a marine biologist. No one believed me. Despite the fact that I loved Sequest, like, <laughs> obsessively loved Sequest, but they just assumed it was, like, a Jonathan Brandis thing. Mm. Like, I had a crush on the guy. Yes. And that was the only reason I cared. I, in fourth grade, I did a, a special report in my in my gifted kids program. Aww. I had to do an independent study. And I did it on dolphins. <laughs> and yet... And yes, you know, flash forward five, whatever years, and and yet still, no one believed me.
1: No, but I loved it. Like It had a very clunky first season, but I really think that if they had persisted with that cast and that core mm-hmm. concept and style, instead of sexing it up and firing mm-hmm. everyone over 40, uh, except, except Roy Shiner, I think that if they had persisted with that, it would have become a classic uh, along the lines of Babylon 5, you know, something with a thriving retro mm-hmm. fandom instead of just being that weird sort of next-gen underwater series Mm -hmm. that is still sort of a punchline
0: you know not to skip to the end of my outline here but if anything needs a reboot now is the time guys it could be on disney plus i don't know who owns it but it could be oh i I do know who owns it because it's on peacock right yeah so it's nbc NBC. i guess it could be on peacock (laughs) but but it's the uh, the reason i said disney plus is that it's a it's a Goofy kids show that that you can still make
1: good for adults, right, you know what right. I mean like like
0: this could be that audience of family watching together, type yes, of
1: thing. yes, science fiction for family, which still has the space politics underwater and all of that stuff, and still a bit of sex and romance and plenty of shipping, as we will discuss but also suitable for the whole family to watch together. Like, my brother watched this. He's five years younger than me, so he would have been seven, and I'm pretty sure he followed all the plots just fine, and not just because he was, like, a Titanic tragic. Oh. Or was I the Titanic tragic? Anyway. <laughs> we were all... now. This, this was pre-the movie, I should say. Like, I always thought Leonardo DiCaprio was no Jonathan Brandis.
0: Aw, it's so sweet poor Jonathan Brandis. I get very sad about him. Oh uh, yeah. T- still to this day. Because as much as I say I wasn't in it for Jonathan Brandis. I, I did have a crush on him. He was on my wall. Oh
1: yeah, same. Same. <laughs> so, it's just he wasn't your sole motivation for watching, right. I understand. He he was a perk. <laughs> yes. Yes. So this premiered in September 1993 and it was interesting to realize that's 9 months after Deep Space 9 and there are actually quite a lot of parallels with mm. Emissary and between Captain Bridger and Commander Cisco. He's yeah. widowed, he's on the fence about sad. taking his job, he's sad, <laughs> set in his ways. Yes, a little bit a little bit cranky. Like obviously They're very different characters, and I don't think there is even a slightest bit of uh, accidental plagiarism. I think these are just very common tropes for male Mm -hmm. leads. But uh, it it struck me as interesting, structurally interesting. It's quite late in the story before he makes the decision to stay. It's it's interesting the way
0: that this is structured because, I mean, I think that going in, you know that he's going to stay. Oh, absolutely. He's on all the (laughs) promos. So... But even just watching it, just like, like okay, mm. like that, you don't cast Roy Schneider and you don't introduce him in such a way if if he wasn't going to be an important character. Yes. But you're sort of going on the journey with him. Yeah. And there is the sort of juxtaposition between Bridger and Stark as, as you know, the, the previous captain. Yeah. And so there is this sort of interesting push and pull like not I you never think that she's gonna take over because she's crazy she's crazy evil lady we'll get to that but uh, (laughs) but there is this interesting sort of we're showing two sides of who would be in charge of this and and why we why you know he's the better vision for it and why even though he has to be talked into doing it that's you know, and she was pushed out. Like Mm. there's this, there's an interesting dynamic there that I liked. I liked the way that they did his come, come back, that it wasn't just, you know, we're going to go and get you and, and convince you for glory or Mm. for you're talking dolphin or for like, Oh, I, I was lonely on my Island and now I'm not lonely anymore. Like maybe all of that is true, But that wasn't his real motivation by the end.
1: No, and I really liked, this this is so far off our outline, but I loved the scene at the end where he's talking to Lucas and Lucas is saying, well, my parents made a promise to be together and they are are too inflexible to change that, even though it's a really toxic relationship. And Mm. even a person who takes his word very seriously, as Bridger does, needs to be capable of looking at the context and understanding when he needs to change. And I think that's a really sophisticated concept for a very dumb show.
0: It it is a very sophisticated concept. And honestly, that scene is like kind of amazing. It's sort of tacked on. Like the show's over and then there's this scene. But then that scene is like the entire heart of the episode. (laughs) And so it's sort of, I don't know. Like they just did, they did a really good job of taking the obnoxious little kid and the grumpy captain, which is <laughs> a yes. dynamic that we've seen before. It is. <laughs> and, you know, the, the 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 genius who doesn't fit in mm. and the uh and the grumpy captain, but they are already bonding and they're already sort of like finding common ground, I guess.
1: It's almost as if Lucas is in a position to Give advice to Bridger, which is something Wesley could never ever have right, done with the car. Right, and even though they're both teen boy genius characters, it's striking how different the two the two characters are. Wesley and Lucas, and Lucas is, uh, <laughs> Lucas is cool. not not to be
0: Michael Chabon but <laughs> Lucas is is organically a part of the crew. <laughs>
1: Right, right, and I feel like people are a lot more uh, reasonably and openly wary about having this unsupervised teenager on the ship and also he's not, in this pilot, he's not put at the forefront of the mission. Mm-mm. He has his own subplot but he's not single-handedly saving the ship. So, And it's also that that Lucas is... You know he's a floppy-haired '90s non-threatening boy. He wears his amazing baseball shirt. He's oh my gosh, I want that shirt. He is a, a cool character, whereas Wesley is a nerd. And right, even nerds respond well. No, they don't. No one responded to Lucas except teenage boys. Uh, teenage girls. I mean, and, and probably some teenage boys.
0: Lucas but... reminds me of Tom Paris. Like he's a yeah. younger a younger yeah. Tom Paris. Where, and he's, he's probably smarter, but he has that same sort of charisma.
1: Yes, yes. I am a nice guy who is in danger of completely messing up my life unless someone comes in and gives me the affection <laughs> that my father withholds. Exactly. Basically, Tom Paris needed to be put on a submarine when he was 16. Uh, oh.
0: Okay, so we're going to write
1: that AU. you. Uh, Yes, uh, we already have Admiral (laughs) Paris right here in this pilot as exposition admiral. Exposition admiral.
0: Yes, one of your your questions here is uh, as an episode or as a pilot. Going back to our caretaker discussion, yes, and definitely this was very much a pilot where there's that one scene where he literally walks around from room to room to to like meet people. Oh, I know it is, (laughs) and they tell him their entire life story. And it's like this. This is this is not the way talking goes. This is not what people do. No, but it
1: it was sort of charming. It was it it wasn't annoying. It was so very piloty in the way that caretaker <laughs> was not. But I did enjoy it, and I think it's because I enjoy these characters, and it's it's great mm-hmm. to look at this show and realize that I am I am enjoying it as much as I did when I was thirteen, and. You know, Hitchcock comes in and she's like, I'm the engineer. I'm a strong female character. So I'm a bit of a bitch and I'm not going to apologize for being really rude to a senior officer. And I'm like, (laughs) I love you. I love you so much. Exactly. As (laughs) soon as she
0: was on screen, I was like, I remember you and I love you. And also, Waylon, too, Dr. Westphalen. The scientist, Westphalen. Yeah. Like, again, as soon as she comes on with her accent and she's like, all, you know, Bopping around and saying, This is a science vessel, Mm. and you guys gotta step back with your guns. (laughs) I was just
1: like, Yes! So (laughs) I know that I love more than anything a cranky older woman in a position of authority. Mm hmm. Kristen Westphalen was my first. Oh. Like, That's so sweet. Beverly obviously had her moments, but she wasn't that old, except compared with like Deanna or whatever. And she didn't have that much authority. And she's Mm -hmm. also only occasionally allowed to be cranky because it's the lady. Yeah, I was going to say, she doesn't get to be cranky. Yeah. Like we find out she is always sarcastic in her internal dialogue, but it's not the same. Whereas now it's the 90s and women can be arrogant and demanding and we're scientists so we're here to keep the peace and we hate the military and I, I, I love her so much and her introductory scene where she's reaming out Ford for no reason in particular <laughs> and Bridger is just watching and laughing, I, I ship it so, so hard. You can see his heart
0: eyes. Yes! It's like they, they're, they're right there. He's absolutely in that moment. But like, oh, oh, okay. There's a reason to stay on this ship. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know my wife is only recently dead and I'm not over that, but I really like this However. Ending. Yes, it's, it's just so great. And then we, we learned that Krieg worked, served with, uh, or went to the Academy with Bridges' late son, and I don't His think that son. Ever, mm-hmm. ever comes up in the series again. I don't remember it being a thing.
0: I don't remember it being a thing. It. What I, I mean, poor Krieg. He's one of the, half these people are gone by the the second season so he's and i love your uh your so hitchcock the engineer that we were just talking about and geek yes. who we're talking about now were married briefly for a year i think at most and certainly and, early uh, in their
1: careers
0: <laughs> she's the engineer and he's supply and morale i guess he's the and quartermaster
1: so- but he's also the guy doing weird <laughs> deals that seem to be about drugs but actually they're about hair regrowth solution and he's the one going why is there no porn in our media library like he is a bit of a sleaze a bit of a charmer he is very much handsome neelix as opposed to book he's very much handsome neelix he's
0: Mm. he's replaced book as sexy neelix because he's like more like neelix (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A book doesn't actually do the Neelix stuff. <laughs> but, by Krieg here, even to the point where we were, we were saying that he, he sees Bridger and he introduces himself and is like... You know, I I don't know you, but I know you because I knew your son and we were buddies and and again, it's like this whole <laughs> here's here's my entire backstory. Right. And also I'm gonna give you Hitchcock's
1: backstory while we're at it. Yeah, that bit where he's like, What a sweetheart and I'm like, That is your superior officer and you're being a sexist jerk. Like <laughs> it, it it is doing that nineties 90s- thing. TV thing where the women are very strong and the men compensate by being assholes about it. Yes, but in a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sort of way. Of all the characters we lost at the end of season one, uh, Bridger uh, Krieg is the one that I miss mm. least.
0: In that scene where he just butts in and tells the captain like everything, mm. yeah, and he's like the least. He he's the lowest uh, rank. Like yeah. he's not. He's not in the chain of command, (laughs) but so that was super Neelix to me. That was like, I'm I'm going to ignore the fact that you're the captain and I'm nobody, and then I'm gonna like exposit at you, and and basically like guilt trip you into treating me like your son.
1: No, (laughs) I'm the closest thing you have to a son on this ship. So so blatantly (laughs) manipulative that I almost don't mind how how weird it is to tell. Your, your backstory to a stranger, because it's clearly done to manipulate. He's an awful person, I love him. <laughs> so your
0: your note here, the Balana Neelix pair of, we always needed. Hitchcock I, is very I laughed out loud reading that. That was hilarious. <laughs> and true.
1: Completely true. I, I, I love Hitchcock, I think she was a great character and I'm so sad that we lost her. Like Hitchcock and Westphalon are the ones that I'm bitter about losing when the yes. series Reboots itself, and I don't understand the thinking that Hitchcock is insufficiently sexy because, hello, she's the most beautiful woman in the world.
0: Anyway, yeah, it it was definitely uh, like even Krieg was let go because he was too old, and it's like what? Yeah, <laughs> and he's We're, like, what, on 30? what planet are any of these people too old? Yeah, like I don't mean that because they like they're really young, they're really young, and they look young, and I I'm pleased that at least. That's one thing that has improved in in the last 30 years is that 40 is not,
1: Mm. you know,
0: I'm going to kick you off the the ship now. Right,
1: right. We were talking about how with Caretaker it was an issue that Kate Mulgrew was 40 and now we have uh, Michelle Yeoh in her 50s preparing to lead a series and she'll be even older when that series finally gets off the ground. And everyone is
0: clamoring for it. Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah.
0: It is not like I'm going to throw those old ladies a bone. It's. I mean, they should. Where do that is as well. my Michelle Yeoh? Yeah. <laughs> series. So. So is this a good time to talk about uh, Captain Stark? <laughs> because she's another older woman <laughs> that is pretty much trashed.
1: Yeah, I really want to defend Captain Stark uh the the villain of the episode but the script makes it really really hard
0: script makes it hard she is deaf. she is she's pretty much a mustache twirling villain
1: pretty much the series opens with her being relieved from command by commander ford as she prepares to launch a nuclear strike against a bunch of civilians like and that's before she goes fully axe crazy, and then <laughs> that's even worse
0: than Gene Hackman. Yeah, Crimson
1: Tide. Also, like it only takes the captain's authorization to launch torpedoes. That is a bad design. Don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> but then, thirteen months later, she has gone off grid and is now working as like a mercenary submarine captain. And she's planted this virus in Sequest's computer that is going to that leaves it helpless and she's just going to wait around for the kill and there's a cut scene where a crewman goes like hey this is more about revenge than anything else and I would like not to die and she kills him and she's like does anyone else think they can command this ship better than me and I'm like oh so she's she's straight up Darth Vadering over there is what you're saying pretty much and it was just such (laughs) poor writing and I, I I definitely think that the the writing would not change if it were a man playing the character. But at the same time, like, they've cast Shelley Hack, who was one of the later Charlie's Angels. Right. She's a very beautiful actress. I think, had they given her a little bit more depth and made her an ongoing antagonist as Bridges' former student turned nemesis, I think that would have been really cool. But she was just cardboard. Cardboard through and through.
0: I wonder what was the decision to make mm. her a woman is what i want to know that's where i want to i want to actually be in that room and be because absolutely every single thing that happens could be done as a man and mm. it wouldn't change the plot in any way but but someone it made would that change choice. the story <laughs> like yeah someone made the choice to make her a woman and she she comes off as a straight-up bitches be crazy.
1: Yeah, in fact, Ford even says it was recommended that she have psychiatric evaluation and she has Yeah, it's r- and- it is <laughs> bad. It is- and I, I, I don't see anything about her that says psychiatric evaluation to me. I just see someone... I, I, it's almost very nineties. Like she's complaining that they've been at peace too long, and they've gone soft, and, and they've gone too long without going to war, and, and that mm. just feels like a really nineties sort of villainy. Well,
0: it it I agree with you, but I also like that's kind of the plot of like Star Trek Beyond, Oh uh, yeah, which was very recent, about five years ago. Yeah. So it's still there it's still but it's partly because those people are still making mm. stories and those people's students are making stories and it takes a lot it takes a lot yeah to cut those those ropes and get to the new kind of story we're still in this uh, you know like Steven Spielberg is still a big name who who is making movies.
1: Yeah. And I remember when this came out, it was a big, big deal that Steven Spielberg was producing yeah. a television show. I, was, I reckon even now, even now anything produced by Spielberg would get some buzz.
0: Right. And I sort of love that Spielberg wanted to do it because it's this guy who wanted to tell these stories when he was a certain age and he was kind of a a little bit of a nerd and and was interested in things that other people weren't interested in and made his little mechanical shark and then like that gave him a whole career right yeah yeah. and and so he has that sort of energy and it just feels like it's that sort of and you know Spielberg's older than me I'm Mm -hmm. not a contemporary of Spielberg so it's Already old, like I said, the people who were making this were already too old to be making the near-future stuff because they didn't have the
1: imagination that could get them to an actual near-future. They were insufficiently connected with the youth of the modern world. Right. Yeah. And
0: I don't know exactly where I'm going with this except that I really think that the Spielberg connection is important mm. and I, it, it, if you think of Sequest DSD as a, like... Twelve-year-old Spielberg imagined this thing, yeah, kind of story. It it has that feeling, even though it's even though he's not the person who like wrote it. He's just a producer. But people in that same era and with those same ideas Mm. and. You know, still being a,
1: a nerdy, engineering, science-y kid yes. who also wanted to tell stories. And the nerdy engineering and science side is a big deal in this first season. Like most of the episodes have uh, Marine archaeol Is he a Marine Archaeologist? He ha- has a science guy explaining the science mm-hmm. over the end credits, which right. I really enjoyed. And I had his books. Maybe I was the Titanic tragic in the family. <laughs> you were going to be a marine biologist and I was going to be a marine archaeologist because mm-hmm. I really what into happens? shipwrecks uh, I'm not a very, very good swimmer sad. anyway <laughs> yeah uh, but this was very much trying to be legitimate family science fiction uh, and right. it, there were a lot of jokes about it being next generation underwater which we have a note here uh, about
0: that's still how people describe it. Yeah,
1: well, it's very much in conversation with Next Gen, but mm. had it been allowed to develop in its own way, it, it could have been more.
0: What's so wrong with Next Generation Underwater?
1: Right. It's certainly not a copy of the Next Generation, and there's the interesting politics of this brand new underwater federation that not everyone buys into. You know, this is Enterprise mm-hmm. Underwater.
0: It has the same uniforms as Enterprise.
1: I was going to say that. I Mm -hmm. I just think this is a show that needed another chance, and Disney Plus should do a family SF series where climate change has pushed people into creating like, on-water and underwater communities, and that would be cool.
0: Okay. Like... I know I always say why isn't someone hiring us to make these things but that is the best idea and it needs to happen right now like that's so good (laughs) and so topical and you can you can reach such a wide audience because you can have you know this it's it'd be like lost in space you know you can have the family dynamic drama stuff and the you know military versus science and the right, discovering the- new worlds and and mm-hmm. new things and having close encounters and all of that stuff yeah, yeah
1: is right there now now that I've said it, it just seems like a really really obvious idea. Like, yeah, it's, it's right there, guys. It's right there. Make it happen. Wait, I just remembered. It already exists. It's an Australian animated series called The Deep about, on Netflix about a family that live in a submarine and do like scientific exploration and have adventures. And it's really mm. good. I follow one of the writers on Twitter, and he follows me because it's Australia and everyone knows each other. And yeah. <laughs> but this is not to say that Disney Plus should not consider a similar but non-plagiaristic concept you know the i I think the climate change and live action and yeah yeah
0: bring it you know have a talking dolphin (laughs) i know people people make fun of the talking dolphin but you know what people like dolphins uh and yes if you could do it in a way that wasn't so twee twee that's a good word (laughs) then it you know it would work yeah, and even you don't even have to have the talking dolphin. You can just have cute dolphins, right? They don't have to talk. They're always trying to prove that dolphins are as smart or smarter than humans. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not a bad like. I like I like it. I like the dolphin,
1: even if it's silly. I love I love the idea of the dolphin, and I do wish that Darwin had been. Uh... I remember reading somewhere that Darwin was conceived as being like data, like uh, naive, but also wise. And I Mm. I feel like they went a little bit too far down the dolphin shaped child route. Mm. I think it's an interesting idea and there is science behind it. And we've had, we've had sillier concepts. I enjoyed the opening scene, how it was basically the expanse, but underwater with, with that's true. the marginalized mining community and you can tell that they're on the fringe of society because they're all wearing like baseball pa- baseball hats <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> imagine if the Expanse was made in the 90s that's what the Belters would look like
0: oh my goodness first of all the Expanse in the 90s is kind of a scary concept to me
1: yeah I don't think it would have been good I don't think it would be a... <laughs> uh,
0: well, it definitely wouldn't be what we have and no. I also worry <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing that was sort of lost when they they really it's it's weird it's like they read all of the commentary that it was tng underwater mm. and decided to try to be more that instead of just continuing what they were doing and it it was like you don't you, Being TNG underwater doesn't mean let's find aliens underwater. Yeah, (laughs) that was was a very strange
1: decision. But also the ways in which they broke with their TNG concepts were really disappointing. You know, the women were less powerful. They were much more scantily clad. Right. They really went to a strong underwater sexy drama sort of thing. And it was more military drama than...
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. It became more military. It mm. became more. Yeah, we're gonna find an alien or a, or something terrible is going to happen, and we're gonna have to fix it. And then the third season is literally in the apocalypse. Like right. And this- everything blew up. And now we're now we found the old sequest mm. fifteen years later or whatever. So those were interesting choices that I disagree with. Yeah. And I just think that. It's another one of those where they didn't, and I, I said this about Enterprise, you have to trust the yes. story you're telling. You have to trust your concept. You have a good concept. You just find the best parts of that. You don't try to rewrite mm-hmm. everything about your show to, because the what ended up happening is they lost the people like me yes. who loved the first season. And, and they didn't get any of those people that they were trying to get. No, this is the, no, Again, the same thing that happened with Enterprise. They lost me and they
1: didn't get any new people. You know, I've started blogging season four of Voyager and I'm really impressed by how with the introduction of Seven of Nine, they have sexed it up and they have added more conflict and more tension, but it's all... Still organic to everything that came in the first three seasons. And and that was how they gained an audience without losing much of their old audience, even though they had things like Seven of Nine fights the Rock.
0: Right. They they trust it. And I mean, Seven of Nine is a great, is is almost the perfect example of sexing it up. And I mean, I was on a panel for the 20th anniversary Mm -hmm. of Voyager. And it was great. It was so good because one of the panelists, like wasn't even me, I was moderating. And one of the panelists, like someone in the audience said, I feel like it became cheaper when they introduced 709 just to bring sex into it. Mm -hmm. And the panelist was like, well, I understand that critique but if you actually watch the Seven of Nine episode, like if you yeah. watch her stories, she is never once treated as a sex object unless it's like part of the plot. Like, they, unless someone's going to point out that she's being treated like a sex object. And even with like the camera stuff, like, yeah, she's introduced in a certain way with the big sweeping up her mm, body and mm. like, ooh, lately, like, you know. But when she's just in a group scene with people and they're doing a you know a close up on seven it's not like on her breasts or on her lips or on, like it's just on seven it's no, not no. like here's the sexy lady it's here's seven of nine and she, and she has this to say so you and it's it's not fair it's not fair to put it all on the audience that like we're going to titillate you mm. and we want you to ignore that titillation and listen to what's happening like yes. it's obnoxious that that's what we have to do However, the plot and story and the medium, even, of Voyager treats Seven like a person and yeah. not like a really important person, like practically
1: the star of the show. Basically, to Kate Mulgrew's regret. Whereas I think, and I have not rewatched season two of Sequest ever. As far as I'm concerned, (laughs) it doesn't exist because they broke up my OTP and then tried Mm -hmm. to get Bridger with the replacement doctor who was, like, young enough to be his daughter. But the female characters they introduced, it's not just that they were younger and sexier and, you know, more appealing in general. They didn't have that strong female character thing happening. It was just that they weren't very interesting. Like, the new Doctor is a telepath, and there's one episode where you see from her point of view what it's like to walk through a space and hear everyone's thoughts and how agonizing that is. But other than that, it's just not terribly... She wasn't a particularly t- conflict-driven or interesting character, and the other one was basically there to be... to wear a tight tank top and have men explain things to her.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, they And so they... Went out of their way to dumb it down. Yeah, they said, "Oh, we're tu- you know, oh, our science and our our ladies who understand science mm. are turning people off, so we're gonna get rid of all of that. Yes, and we're gonna have and it and that's just it's it's so insulting. Yeah, to anyone who likes it, but it's also insulting to pe- like. Why do you think that the only reason I'm gonna watch this show is if you have? A sexy dumb lady on it
1: like, right it's so are there really those people and if so why are we catering to them well I don't think there really are those people because it was not exactly a ratings winner and I no. remember I actually quite liked season 3 I really missed Bridger and I wrote a lot of fic where Bridger and Westphalen hooked up ten years later uh, but that's beside oh. the point there was a new female character introduced that season cannot remember her name but she was a Latina soldier who had a chip implanted in her head, which recorded right. all her thoughts, and it sort of made her the perfect soldier because she could never have an independent moment of privacy.
0: And I, re- I, re- I, remember the chip part. Like I, re- yeah, I, I have a very strong <laughs> memory of that whole plot subplot. So
1: yeah, and I really liked her because she felt like a, you know the nineteen ninety five version of the strong female character, and that was a really interesting science fictional concept. And it did some interesting stuff with her identity and her sense of self, which I really enjoyed. And yeah, it was sort of the first time since season one that we had a really complicated female character who didn't necessarily have agency, but her lack of agency was the story.
0: Mm. I say, and I say this about Voyager, and I say this about Enterprise, Mm. that DSV never really, it didn't become what it could have been. Because yeah. they were afraid to to go there, and it's hard. It's hard to be a television series. It's especially hard to be a television series in the '90s. This is most definitely it was one of the worst possible times for you to have a. You know, this is why the expands would not work in the '90s. Is because no. conceptual and and uh, serial storytelling mm. like those things just weren't happening yet. Unless you were the X-Files. Yeah, and like the X-Files even, like, it's not like they didn't do Monster of the Week every week. Right, right. They had a a storyline that went along with it, but it was still a procedural
1: as well. Yes, and even Babylon 5 was famously the first planned, arc-driven story, but it was still, I'd say, about at least two-thirds procedural. And, And... it, it has these tremendous scenes of exposition in every single season because they're writing for an audience that did not right. was not familiar with a serialized television format so right. there was a lot of as you know bob
0: so this is just another reason why revisiting these ideas it's mm. like, you know what there are 500,000 television channels now and or, you know, streaming mm. that call themselves television channels. Right. We need, we need a new word for it. So there's no reason why this shouldn't be something that that they go back to. Because, yeah, you know what? Titanic was the most popular movie and the, the biggest moneymaker for years.
1: And not just because of the legendary romance and the big no. fancy ship. Some of us actually really like the submarine stuff at the beginning where they're finding the wreck
0: I honestly, I I think that's true I mean, and uh, The Abyss Yes, yes is not wildly popular, but is a cult classic like,
1: people people who love that movie, love that movie and I'm one of them submarine movies are a perennial genre for a reason and maybe in 1993 the world was not ready for the family submarine drama but, you know
0: But they are now. Well, maybe. Well, I I mean, I like the idea of the... Because it's not like it's it's a crazy idea that we're going to run out of... I mean, Florida isn't going to exist (laughs) soon. Definitely Louisiana (laughs) isn't going to exist soon. Because the water is rising and we're not figuring out how to stop it. Or fix it or do anything about it.
1: Right, so... and now'm I'm, I'm recalling there is an Australian middle grade novel called oh gosh, I'm totally blanking on the name, but the author is Bren McDibble and I'll put the book in the show notes and that is again like I don't think it's a submarine story, but it is about a family and kids living on the water because climate change ha- has reduced access to land. Like that is cool. Submarine even cool. water world is like
0: popular. <laughs> <laughs> with certain people. I am just like these are they're, they're cult classics. They are not yeah, yeah. they're not, you know, mainstream, but there's an audience. That's my point. My point is there is an audience for this. I am 100% the audience for this. Yes. And I think that we we have Ten Star Treks now, right? We yeah, have, we have room for that are happening, in addition to the last season of The Expanse, and then who knows what's going to happen? And like, for there are there are so many space dramas. Yes, they're, they're, They exist. They're making a Lord of the Rings movie and I mean a uh, series, and they're making more Game of Thrones. Mm. So like, high fantasy
1: is also fine. What we need. Is the ocean right it doesn't have to be a literal sequest reboot I think that an an original IP would be really great I just think Mm -hmm. this is a story waiting to be told Uh, speaking of stories waiting to be told or that that were told in sequests quest oh god to be like legitimate science fiction they did get Shatner (laughs) and Hamill which is amazing. I know, Shatner plays. <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite episodes because it's a Westphalen episode. But Shatner plays a deposed dictator who I think hijacks the ship to get <laughs> get a cure for his dying son or something. Yeah, he, he has a terrible mustache, and Shatner's all over the place. That's a given. Yes.
0: What I, and I don't remember a lot of it. Individual stories of this series. It, it, it's now on Peacocks and you know, maybe I'll watch some now.
1: Maybe I'll, maybe I'll revisit. There's a Blu-ray <sighs> edition. I don't know how well it's been remastered, but I am a little bit tempted. It's just that it carries all three seasons, and as you know, I don't acknowledge the existence <laughs> of season two. I like how season two just isn't. That's not real. That
0: no, happen.
1: It's like <laughs> the last Airbender movie. Not, not a thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what i remember of the stories is that again they it's they have to be a story that is told in one episode kind of thing yeah and you can't do this show and not have their like voyager things have to happen you know as it goes on you can't just like mm. you can't have tom and Belana flirting in one episode and then that's never mentioned again kind of thing it's like that kind of stuff Still has to happen.
1: Right. There are emotional through lines, but there are very, there's very little serialization. Even in right. season but, three but where being I re- clots. Yeah. I recall that the the villain in season three is like Macronesia and it's like Australia took over New Zealand and a bunch of uh, South Pacific Islands. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm not saying we I'm... wouldn't. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was pretty cool being the villain of season three. Uh, Yeah,
0: again, season three was this, they were like, went into this really dark place where like, Mm. we're going to blow everything up and everything's going to be, be bad and right, entire like nations are are rising up and we're in this like on the brink of war kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that, and that was interesting. Like, again, I don't, it's not the story that I wanted.
1: (laughs) But it is interesting.
0: But it is interesting. It is interesting, and it could like if if we got in more of like you know what season three with all of the characters characters that I knew in season one, I think I would be more into.
1: That was the fic that I was writing. I like I was literally writing that fic the day I watched Voyager for the first yeah. time.
0: because the ideas are cool. Like yes, it, I want to. I I but I just want to experience them with people that I care about yeah and I just sort of got like I I'm the t- like, you know I'm the person who's still angry that they replaced Dr. Crusher with Dr. Pulaski for that <laughs> you know it's still hard it's still hard for me to watch season two Same. of Next Generation because I'm just I feel like insulted I feel personally <laughs> attacked by the lack of Dr. Crusher I mean you and Dana really and that's sort of that's sort of how so you they even took away bridger in in the third season you know it's like i think it's more accurate to say that
1: roy scheider quit in a half yeah which is which is <laughs> but you know what i applaud him really absolutely for
0: saying you know what i didn't sign up for this mess that like i was I was telling a good story, and you people did this with it, and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And uh, you you know how you said that uh, you wish Robert Belcheron just left? Mm. Like, yeah, exactly. It's better that that Roy Schneider pitched a fit and got, you know, written out than that he pitched a fit and then, like, just snarled through the entire season, you know? No, I I
1: completely (laughs) respect his decision to put his money where his mouth was. And part of the reason Sequest got off the ground was that they had Roy Scheider attached and you see it in the pilot. He slips so easily into this character and delivers these, some pretty cheesy lines with so much (laughs) confidence that you almost forget how cheesy they are. Whereas, like, I feel like he, Stephanie Beecham and Jonathan Brandis are the most confident members of this cast. Yes, And everyone else needs a few episodes to sort of catch up. (laughs)
0: and that comes across in like we were talking about with like the hard eyes yes and then that last scene with lucas like those everything pops because they're already they're already in character they already know what they're doing and they're doing it they're throwing them themselves wholly into it
1: and you can see them becoming a family unit and yeah. which is amazing because there are so many like they have so many different acting backgrounds. Like Brandis was a child actor. Beecham came from soap operas. She was in Dynasty. She played uh, Joan Collins's sister cousin. Anyway, check it out on YouTube. It's amazing. Her hair is so big. And Shida, of course, was a big big movie star with a lot of with a big reputation.
0: Yeah, Stephanie, I, would, I had to look it up to make sure before I said it, but mm. Stephanie Beecham was Dylan McKay's mother. Yes. <laughs> Hi, <90210. laughs>
1: I Because I was such a massive West Phelan Bridges shipper, I sort of... Glommed onto Stephanie Beecham, the way I have now glommed onto Jane Brooke, but without Twitter and stuff. So all I would all I could do was like go to the library and look up her filmography and then look up the films that she had been in and try and get them on video or whatever. i I would read vintage TV guides to get episode summaries for her episodes of Dynasty. <laughs> like I was such a fangirl. But that's I just I love the fact that she was
0: society drunk iris mckay (laughs) but was also this so competent Mm. you know to to say the abyss again like she comes across as uh mary elizabeth master antonio's character but like
1: older Older, yeah, <laughs> like more. I don't know. It's actually part of why she took the role. I don't know why I still retain this information, but she took the role because she really liked pl- the idea of playing a scientist and being able to dress down in her, you know, her her coverall, her uniform, and not be dripping with diamonds, with hair up to the ceiling. And it was something that her her daughters could see her in and and respect. Oh. Okay, now I'm going to cry. I know, I know. <laughs> because that's so wonderful. And and like she was in one episode of Next Gen and I have to assume that she was just too old. Like if Kate Mulgrew was too old, then she was too old to be Janeway. But they should have seen her in this and gone Janeway. Yeah, she
0: she has that vibe. Yeah. Like they would definitely, they would sign, sign, signs together.
1: Right. It would be great. They will be so happy. Yeah, I, I don't know what she's doing these days, so I hope she hasn't, like, turned into a turf or a racist or something, but uh, just just let 13-year-old live. It's always, it's always a danger these days. Oh, my God. But this is why I'm
0: glad that we're doing this completely ridiculous episode on our Star Trek podcast, because I d- d- do people know that Sequest
1: DSV is available on Peacock? <laughs> because it is. If someone out there wants to do, like, a proper episode by episode sequest podcast i will totally listen to that like just just the scene where Westphalen is trying to let darwin give informed consent for his military <laughs> service that alone <laughs> deserves an episode yeah
0: that's the thing is that this ridiculous show had it asked ridiculous questions but it took it completely seriously yes and that's what they needed to. That's the they needed that confidence to carry through everything they did, right? Because when they do it, I'm fully there. I believe in all everything that's happening, and I'm I'm invested in everything that's happening. And, that's and it's, only when,
1: yeah. it, it's only when yeah, it's only when it loses confidence that it falters, and you suddenly see through the illusion. They understood that science fiction needs to be played with a straight face or else it's not going to work. Right. Right. Exactly. Babylon 5 is at its weakest when it's making weird jokes about Deep Space Nine. Yeah. That's yeah. not its own thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, highly recommend watching the, the, the cutscene with Bridger and Westphalen. It's also reproduced in the novelization by Diane Duane, which I have read many times. <laughs> Because she talks about having been married several times and she doesn't quite know why her relationships ended. But then she says, and I wrote this down, strength in a woman can be debilitating in a man, which is kind of a weird way to put it. It's kind of a weird way to say, like, to... To say that men are intimidated by strong women. Yeah. But it it really makes it clear that the writers were intentionally writing strong and interesting female characters with the limitations of the time. Right. Again, they're thinking out of the box. Yeah. Oh, In as much as there is still a sequest fandom, it's mostly people who were really big, it's mostly women who were really big fans of the female characters.
0: Well, I was just going to say that I think that's true about Lucas as well, is that mm. they didn't recreate Wesley. No. They were like, okay, we're going to have a kid and he's going to be a genius, but he's also going to be like a delinquent and have a chip on his shoulder and like be really desperate for affection, Mm. but also unwilling to look for it. Yes, I I love Wesley Crusher, but that's a way more interesting character. Right, right. There's so many more things you can do with that character than you can with the boy genius who gets along with everybody and (laughs) and is unreasonably... Ingratiated into the action, whereas Lucas is like on the periphery.
1: He's he's more integrated as the series goes on, and like I think he even becomes part of the crew in yeah. in, in the third season, yeah, right? He, yeah, he's, he's given Farm, so. his, his own field commission to the rank of ensign, but he doesn't take over the show the way the way Wesley does. Like I remember there are Lucas episodes, but they're mainly about him doing teenage boy things. Mm. within the context of the ship they treat their characters like people
0: yeah and it and it's better it turns out that's a good way to do things like again I love the next generation everyone knows I love the next generation Beverly Crusher my favorite character on the next generation not counting Ro she is does not have no. <laughs> any like all of the characterization is something I put on her it is not Given to me, I have to tease it out of Mm. of the scraps Mm. that that are given to me. And so did Gates McFadden, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, we talked about uh, how Jonathan Frakes
1: brought Will Riker to life. Will Riker on paper is is the most boring man alive. (laughs) There's nothing there. But consider, consider for example Commander Ford in this show, uh, and he is basically, I want to say, basically underwater Riker, extremely extremely dull. The most interesting things about him are that he is clearly going to hook up with Hitchcock and don't tell me if they don't because I ship it now and <laughs> this extremely terrible problematic order from Admiral Not Paris to pretend to be a coward and incompetent so Bridger has to take command. Command, yeah. Uh, which, at which point, gross. But, yeah, because <laughs> Ford is African American so I assume he turned around and filed his report with HR. One would hope. I, first of all, Definitely, Ford and Hitchcock
0: like were they? They were trying to like, oh, it's going to be a love triangle between Hitchcock and Ford and her ex-husband. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. No, it's not going to be a love triangle. It's going to be these two get it on, and that guy
1: gets off the ship. It's pretty clear that as far as she's concerned, he is not even like her ex is not even a contender. Oh yeah, they they don't even have a particularly friendly. X, re- X on X relationship. I would
0: ship her with pretty much everyone. Oh out. yeah. All of them. <laughs> She's very shippable.
1: I watched it and I realized that there are almost certainly like Bridger-Lucas shippers out there. <laughs> what? I know, I know. And then I'm like, no, okay. he's a child, I'm just going to not think about that. And then I was struck by how it's actually weird that there aren't that many slashy pairings on this show, because in this season, like, like I, I think that there were O'Neill-Ortiz shippers, but that was mm. mostly because in season two they hung out a lot and Ortiz was very sex Proximity, up. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Ortiz may have been the first Latino character I saw in science fiction. Wow. Well, Star Trek was pretty far behind on that one, so. Just, I'm, I'm just
0: going to throw in Bail Organa as a Latino in space <laughs> before Star Trek and I mean you know it was 1999 so it wasn't like late but it was still
1: still important to me (laughs) anyway moving on (laughs) it's still important now we don't stop thinking about representation just because we have some yeah
0: exactly and I you know we are not a (laughs) we're not a Star Wars podcast we're a Sequest podcast right but we
1: always have been (laughs)
0: however it's hugely important to me that leia's father was a latino man yeah like hugely important to me that both of her parents were people of color
1: yes her mother was played by a filipina australian don't yell at me about the prequels being bad (laughs) when
0: they do things like that no. But back to Sequest And back to Ford, who I agree, he is he it yeah, you're absolutely right that he is Riker in that he is the straight man. He has nothing to do other than like push
1: the plot forward. Like he doesn't get any character, he doesn't even get to exposit randomly. No, and it's kind of a shame because I feel like he's actually the most interesting character we don't get to see much of because he has just relieved his captain of command. Now he's right. being passed over for this other white guy. And, and does he feel a way about that? Does he feel yeah, yeah yeah. Does he feel guilt for having to relieve Stark even though it was the right thing? Were they friends? Yes yeah. and,
0: and we get none of this. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, none of
1: this Captain Stark happens. is literally never mentioned again. I looked up for it.
0: Yes. Cause he' Yeah, because I was sort of like, what even happens to him? He gets to be in all three seasons. Yeah, he's one of the few. But he, he still doesn't really like nothing really happens to him. He's no. just sort of he's he continues to be that guy who is sort of like the continuity guy, <laughs> but doesn't get to do anything. But I looked up that he had he had a, a backstory that he was this is horrible so Mm -hmm. like content warning for racism but his original backstory was that he was from the streets of chicago Uh (laughs) uh-huh and and, uh and you know was uh you know a basically thug tm wow impoverished single mom didn't know his dad like every stereotype you can think of for a black man. Right. Was on him. And none of that made it into the show. Thank and God. And instead, he was given the backstory of being super rich with like parents who were high up in the fleet or something. Mm. And, and like, again, they never do anything with this. No.
1: It sounds like he was basically underwater Tom Paris. Yeah, he was
0: Underwater Tom Paris. Everyone and... in this
1: show is Underwater Tom Paris. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, that's, that's just what the, the show's about. No, but so it's interesting to me that they so narrowly avoided this horrible mm. black stereotype and yet still completely failed to give him his due as a character. Yeah,
1: it's like, a real shame. A,
0: I, so... That's it. That's just sort of one of those interesting stories about the '90s. Oh yeah. They, oh, the '90s. They
1: really, you know, it's it's a uh, one step forward, twelve steps back. But yeah. I looked up most of the cast to see where we're at these days. Obviously, Jonathan Brandis tragically took his life in I think 2003. And mm-hmm. there's a lot more dialogue now about the mistreatment of child actors in Hollywood and the pressure they're under and the abuse to which they're vulnerable. Uh, Roy Scheider passed away just a couple of years ago. Uh, he was played in the miniseries Fossey Ver- Verdon by none other than Lin Manuel Miranda. Wow. Yeah. So maybe that's the casting for our Sequest reboot.
0: Nice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would. I would do it. I would. I would see. I can see it. Yes, uh, Stephanie Beecham is still working I, the most recent thing she's been in that I can think of off the top of my head is the British series Bad Girls which is basically Orange is the New Black but English and also predates it uh, at some point she was in Celebrity Big Brother so that, that's that's her career and okay. everyone mm-hmm. else is just still sort of you know working they do guest spots, they turn up here and there they're mm-hmm. professional working actors
0: Right, they're working actors Which is great Not names Yeah Sometimes hates hate that guy but...
1: yeah, yeah, which, which I but love y- yeah. I remember I went to see Janet Varney, the voice actress of Korra uh, at a con a few years ago and she talked about her her heroine and her inspiration as an actor was Terry Gar, because she never really achieved stardom but she also never stopped working and mm-hmm. she's done everything from Star Trek to... Uh, not Star Trek. That made me a lot more interested in following the careers of people who consistently work in the entertainment industry without achieving celebrity. I'm
0: I'm old enough now that I see you know, I knew that James Frayne was in where the heart is, right? Yes. <laughs> so it's like eventually I everyone's a hate that guy for mm. me, unless they're young and new, you know? And, and so it is, it's very, it's fun. I do that all the time. I I also like went to Wikipedia and like clicked on each name and and I forget which one, but someone had like 80 credits. (laughs) Like this person is super working and yet also doesn't have a picture on their Wikipedia page because that's not like, they're not a face, Yes, but they're
1: absolutely have a career. Yes, yes. And, you know, prior to Sequest as a teenager, I think, Stacey Hardook played Lana in the, the Superboy series that was sort of a precursor to Smallville. So, yeah, it's, it's cool to be able to follow a person's career and see that, by all accounts, they're doing well. Right.
0: And it's always fun to watch a show that you might not be super interested in and but it has someone that you like yes for example jane brooke and then you in your mind make it secretly an alternate <laughs> universe story
1: about that person that you like i just saying don't do that but i did watch the four episodes of major crimes that jane appeared in in 2017 and it, it was with um mary mcdonald Laura roslyn yes yeah. yes <laughs> and <laughs> The series, you mean the cat cornwell and laura roslin show <laughs> the cat cornwell murders laura roslin show even though she's the lead yes yes <laughs> yeah that uh, one <laughs> it's actually weird because like the series was pressured by the network to go into serialization and they compromised by doing like four episode arcs which i think is brilliant by the way it's a format more shows should adopt uh and mm-hmm. the penultimate arc is about it's really really dodgy it's about uh, strippers and sex workers being murdered and the prime suspect is this self-help guy or his son and Jane plays their wife slash mother and then it turns out that Jane did it so these women couldn't accuse her husband of raping them and then like all through the series this just a few years ago right like 2017
0: And so
1: this is like their Me Too story, but then all through it, one of the male detectives is like hitting on the victims and the witnesses. It's really gross. But they finally realize that it's Jane and they pull her in for questioning and she basically gets into a screaming match with Mary McDonald about the rightness of her actions, blah, blah, blah. And Mary McDonald's character has a heart problem and in the middle of this shouting match, she has a fatal heart attack and dies. And okay. <laughs> Jane is like, uh, this is very uncomfortable. But I'm like, there are four episodes left in this series, and they've just killed their leading lady. And, and then I, like, it's, it's a procedural, so it doesn't have like a massive fandom. But what fandom it does have was furious. I do, like, I actually remember, because I follow Mary McDonald
0: on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I do remember there being, like, a firestorm about this, like, I re- yeah. and, and she, I remember her, like, putting out this statement that was, like, I really appreciate everyone's words, and I really enjoyed, you know, putting my heart and soul into this story, and blah, 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 and was, like, you know, don't be angry on my behalf, or whatever, mm. but I have never watched Major Crimes, because I cannot put... Laura Roslin
1: into a law and order like it just it doesn't work for me and <laughs> no it was look it's I know you love procedurals but this did not seem to be a very good one even setting <laughs> aside its poor decisions as it wrapped up and it's notable like the other reason the non-jane brooke reason that I watched it is that it was show run by James Duff who is now an executive producer on the trek renaissance I see. Yes, he wrote a couple of episodes of Picard. He wrote a couple of episodes of season three of Discovery. Yeah, huh. yeah. So let's it- let's <laughs> hope he doesn't kill off Michael halfway through the final season. I hope
0: that there are enough people who would be in an uproar about that that uh, that won't happen.
1: <laughs> but I'm li- I like to think that he's lured. Oh, he also wrote the play and. I think directed the telemovie of Doing Time on Maple Drive, which was iconic in the early 90s for its depiction of uh, queerness and coming out and dysfunctional families, and starred Jim Carrey in a dramatic role, huh. and also starred Jane. And Bibi okay. Besh from Wrath of Khan, Carol Marcus, as the mother. Wow. This uh, is cast,
0: <laughs> but that's what I'm, I. But that's actually our point: is that pe- actors show up everywhere, and it's cool.
1: <laughs> yes, and definitely don't waste your life watching telemovies movies from the early nineties when you can waste it by watching failed uh, science fiction programs from the same year. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> look,
1: look, it's. It's just one of
0: those things, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you, we like what we like. <laughs> but I, you know, again, they're rebooting everything. So, re like reboot this, reboot alienation. Like, oh, I forgot about it. But... Where are the shows from the '90s that I watched and loved, and why haven't they gotten their their day in the sun? I have... no one wants Mad About You. No, God, no, <laughs> no one cares. What they're doing ten years later.
1: All but... I'm saying is that I have a lot of ideas for rebooting Babylon Five and recreating what was best in it, while also fixing its many, many problems from the '90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: well, yeah, you know that is it's newly available streaming, right? So yeah, yeah, HBO Max. It could apparently. happen. Yeah. That's what. That's my. That's my one. My one. You know, maybe. Maybe it's going to be okay for. For Sequest is that it definitely was not readily available. Yeah. And Now you know Peacock is ridiculous, <laughs> but you can watch it for free. Like it's it's one of the you'd have to watch you know ads. But I watched ads. Yeah. Yeah. In order to watch Sequest and and it wasn't there's only like one ad per break. It wasn't the worst thing. And also like Sequest had like there were ads. So yeah, it's, it's not that- actually. When, when watching like next generation and it does that like it gets dark yes yes and <laughs> that's where black. the ad happens and then it comes back in and they're the same scene it's like a, a you know they Guys. say it like it's the continuing scene it's like we went from one one sentence to and then they answer and it's but it's like dark in between <laughs> or so there nice. are some um, episodes of leverage where they actually repeat the lines. Oh my god! You know, after they come back from commercial break and they say the same two lines again, and it's like, guys, that's like a um,
1: classic Doctor Who, but they did that between episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I really hope the Leverage re- reboot does this, does the same thing. <laughs> oh. So,
0: but uh, so, but my point is that hey. They made
1: the smite the Snyder cut, so thank you for listening to Anti Matter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and themes, credits and credits for our theme music. You can also find transcripts, which we're, are slowly being filled in. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. Join us in two weeks where we'll begin be discussing the obscure science fiction series, Star Trek. Specifically, rating statistics, and we'll be joined by a special guest who understands numbers better than we do.